I'm going to see if I can tie together our scriptures today, especially our first reading from the prophet and then our gospel passage from Matthew. If we look in our first reading from uh, Isaiah, we see God talking about, he's basically saying, I'm sick of your sacrifices. Okay, so this is the Old Testament and they have a temple and they're bringing animal sacrifices and God is saying, I'm fed up with them. What I want from you people is not ritual and sacrifice, but I want uh, conversion of heart. I want a change of life. I want to see real righteousness in your lives, moral, moral uprightness. Okay. And then we have that psalm refrain to the upright. I will show the saving power of God. Now it's maybe it seems common sense to us, I guess, as Christians, you know, we know that God wants us to be holy. So we get that. And so it's maybe a little obvious, but I think if you put it in the ancient context, what the Old Testament uh, prophets preached was very radical given their context, given their social and historical context, because Old Testament religion, in contrast to the surrounding pagan religions, was focused on morality, on personal holiness, in a way that the pagan religions just were not. Okay, The pagan gods wanted, above all, sacrifice and ritual acknowledgement of their, of their divinity. That's what they wanted. And the pagan belief was basically, we've got to do these things, these rituals, and it was kind of like a magical conception of, of ritual and sacrifice. We have to do these rituals, otherwise the cosmos, the fabric of the cosmos is going to become undone. And the gods are just going to start letting the world go to pieces. And the seasons won't, won't come and go, and, and we won't have fruitful harvests, and our society as a whole is going to be deteriorated and maybe our enemies are going to come in and take over and the women won't bear children and then the crops will be bad and the herds won't won't give birth so da, da, da. that's essentially how the pagans thought okay and so the gods were basically their whole thing was like they they were like egomaniacs in a certain sense they wanted they wanted this divine recognition and if they didn't get it for doggone it they're mad okay so they were the gods for the pagans were a little bit like terrorists. Okay, if you don't give me what I want, then you're in trouble. So it really wasn't this relationship of love, right? It was a kind of a contractual, mercantile, almost terror terrorists like tyrannical kind of relationship. And the and the more you know, human beings, the pagans as mortals, recognize that. Now there were some good things about paganism. I can actually talk about a lot of good things about paganism. At least the pagans were there was a certain kind of humility where they basically okay, the gods are the gods, and we're mortals, and you don't you don't want to mess with them, you know. So there was a certain kind of religiosity and piety about them, which was better than atheism that basically says you know I'm the boss of the universe. Okay, so that was decent. But at the end of the day, that pagan piety, it was very impersonal and very cold and calculating and mechanical. So as long as you did all your rituals, you know, you could kind of live your life as you wanted to live it. And in fact, sometimes the pagan virtues emphasized a bit of the uh, the strong man, Machiavellian kind of way of, of living things like, you know, don't mess with me, you mess with me, I'm going to kick your butt. And then, you know, they that was kind of like of a value and uh like love for the poor no <laughs> that was not a virtue amongst pagans okay you know concern for widows and orphans and all that no that was not on the 
priority list for pagans, okay? If you were a poor person, you were that was a sign that you were just like a nobody. So who cares about you? You know, and little kids were nobodies. What really mattered was if you had power, if you were strong, if you had wealth, if you were a good warrior, and that was that w- that were the values. So consequently, it didn't it didn't really foster paganism did not work to foster morality. Okay? Its main emphasis was on ritual. So that's why Old Testament religion was so radical is that the God of the Old Testament prophets was repeatedly saying to the people, guys, your sacrifices, if you do, you do all this ritual stuff, it means nothing unless you're holy. And more more than, than holiness in a kind of superficial sense, in, that, in the sense that I want to see social justice, I want to see compassion for the weak and the poor and the underprivileged and the marginalized and so forth and so on. It's really a big deal, very different kind of spirituality in the Old Testament prophets as opposed to the pagans at that time. And we come to, to understand later on that that only makes sense because we, we believe, you know, the, the, the total testimony of the Bible as a whole essentially reveals to us that the pagan gods were demons. Okay? And so you had these fallen angels who basically, they coveted the honors that only were to be given to God. And so that's why they wanted the blood of the sacrifices. They wanted that. They coveted that. These angelic, these fallen angelic intelligences wanted to derail human allegiance from the one true supreme transcendent God to themselves. It's what they wanted. Okay. Now, in contrast, so the, so they were kind of egomaniacs. They were demons. I mean, that's basically what it was. Now, the one true transcendent God is not an egomaniac. All right? So important to understand that. And when the one true God, supreme God, the God, the creator of the universe, says, I'm number one, what he's speaking about, what he's speaking is the truth. He's speaking the truth. Okay? The true God is the supreme good. He is the supreme good. And he, because he is the supreme... So, love... And loyalty and allegiance, primarily love, corresponds to goodness. You love what's good. The supreme good, well, you're going to love it supremely. It's going to be your number one love. It has to be if you want to live according to reality, if you want to live according to truth. Do you know who, who the number one or what the number one supreme object of God's love is? It's himself, actually. And it can't be any other way because he is the supreme good. So he is the object of his own love. All right? So it's very important for us not to project our own human dimensions and categories onto the one supreme God. Because if we, if the supreme object of my love was myself, oh my gosh, right? That's, that's idolatry, that's egoism to an extreme extent. All right? That's to out-narcissist the greatest narcissist that's ever walked on the, on the face of the earth to say that I am the supreme object of my own love. Okay? But you see, what's not true for me is true for God. What's true for God is not true for me because there's a fundamental distinction between the creator and the creature. So, so important to get that. And so when Jesus comes along in our gospel and he says, whoever loves father or mother or anybody more than me is not worthy of me, he's not being an egomaniac. He's speaking according to the truth of his nature and who he is because he is God Almighty. 
And we can never take Jesus and reduce him and limit him and put him down on our level. And, you know, it's kind of something I take for granted, but I've sort of reflected, just the other day I was reflecting on it, something I've noticed a little bit here and there in the past is, by God's grace, I've had the opportunity to take many, many years to reflect upon some very fundamental Christian beliefs like that of the Trinity. Okay, so many years, many, many years, probably 15 to 15 or so years of very intense reflection upon the Trinity. And that's a great privilege to be able to have the opportunity to do, to do that. And so when I approach the scriptures with the, the proper understanding, historical Catholic understanding of the Trinity, I see Jesus in a certain light. And I notice every once in a while I'll hear a preacher, I'll, I'll, I'll hear a layperson speak about Jesus, and it's kind of like, boy, you really don't understand who Jesus is. Jesus is God. <laughs> okay? And so there's a whole question of what scholars talk about is the consciousness of Christ. And sometimes we, you know, I, again, I think we, we reduce Jesus to a very, like, oh, Jesus was afraid and he didn't know and he doubted and he didn't have faith in God at some point because he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was sweating blood. And so, you know, and I think it comes from good intentions. People want to say Jesus is a human being like us and he is, it's true. And so we want to be able to kind of, be related to him and him related to us. We want to kind of find a, a kind of a, a, a relatableness in Jesus. And so I think it comes from good motives, but we, we start to understand Jesus in terms of our very, very limited um, created categories. And that's a real mistake. We can never do that. And we always find passages in the Bible that remind us that we can't do that, such as this one. I mean, if there was a man that came by and he says, whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, he's an egomaniac. He's crazy. That's totally weird to say something like that unless you're God Almighty. <laughs> and, then, and then it makes sense. All right. So our first object of love is God. The second object of our love, properly speaking, is our own soul. To be loved for the sake of God and in God. And then after that comes our neighbor. We have to love our neighbor, but we do have to love ourselves, our soul, okay, before we love our neighbor. So then, then we love our neighbor in the third place. And then in the fourth place, we love our body. Okay? So that's really the proper order. And we got to live according to that hierarchy of loves. Otherwise, we're not living according to reality. And the supreme object of our love is God Almighty, is Jesus Christ, who is God Almighty. We can never reduce him to, to our categories, my brothers and sisters. And ultimately, that love that we have for Jesus is to result in a transformation of our lives, such that we're not just offering ritual sacrifice to God like you know the pagans, but we are now demonstrating that love and that goodness in our own lives. It's now the kingdom as it is in heaven is now brought to the earth and is being realized and manifested in the earth. And that's that's the whole purpose for our existence and our vocation as creatures called to love supremely our creator.